Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. Today, we're joined by a long friend of mine by the name of Alex Weaver. Alex has all kinds of experience, kind of immeasurable in a whole bunch of different ways in dealerships and manufacturers, in parts and systems, in business. But today, I'd like to open up a subject that we haven't talked about yet called used parts. There's a sector of the market that is has been left uncovered for the most part by the original equipment dealer network and that supply chain. Alex has a deep experience in this, having worked in that industry and started up several aspects of it. So we're going to spend the next little while talking about the used parts business. So Alex, welcome aboard. Good to see you. Ron, good afternoon. It's great to see you and to visit again. It's been uh, many, many moons, hasn't it? Yes, sir. The first time I think you and I met was in Texas. That's correct. In the 80s. I think it was the 80s. And you were working in a used parts, used equipment brokering type of business. Is that a pretty fair statement? That's absolutely right. How about you give us a little bit of your background leading up to that and then what you were doing there, and let's use that as the kickoff. Okay. Um, Well, it was a wonderful opportunity. Texas, the oil fields were booming. It was a great time to be in in, uh, all those businesses, used equipment, used parts, and and all together. Uh, Having been in used parts, literally uh, for lots of years. My first job was uh, in the industry, was in a used parts, very small used parts, used equipment house. And back in those good old days, back in the uh, 60s and early 70s, used parts was kind of a takeoff business. It was much like uh, the automobile junkyard, salvage yard. Someone would get a piece of equipment and they might not even tear it all the way down. They just sold pieces off of it as someone needed it. Uh, Over time, used parts got more sophisticated and many people started disassembling machines and inspecting parts and putting them in inventory on a shelf. Uh, But it started with just used takeoff. During that progression, people uh, started started, uh, taking parts off and repairing them using them for cores to rebuild them, uh, selling complete components, and then attachments and work tools were always a a healthy part of the the used parts business. Um, The little company I started with got their start in life in that after World War II, um, people were buying government surplus. And one of the most... um, uh, active products at that time, besides the Jeep, everybody wanted World War II Jeeps, was the old uh, half track. The front uh, rubber tired steering wheel and the back of the truck had a, a track system on it, much like the track type tractor you and I know today. So there was a core of, of individuals that were buying those surplus and uh, rebuilding them, repairing them, and selling them. Uh, Ranchers in Colorado bought them because they live wintertime. They could throw hay in the back of the of the crawler truck and and get it out into the field where the livestock was and back. But those people, those those eight or ten people, were kind of the core of starting the used 
parts business in this country, as best I know. Many of them uh, be, became a founding uh, fathers of uh, an old group called Associated Independent Distributors, which uh, still exists now. They've, they've changed the name. But um, uh, and at the same time, um, some of the non-OEM manufacturers, and I'll mention Burko, was, was in the uh, independent undercarriage business. Uh, having visited them a couple of times, they had machine tools and presses uh, back in, in, again, in the early 60s that were beyond anything that many um, other manufacturers had, including some OEM. So um, the Associated Independent Distributors, some people just sold new wheel fit parts, some sold used parts, but out of that was kind of the core that grew into a, a very complete uh, distribution system, really, um, uh, primarily in the United States and Canada. So it was uh, used parts. It was some uh, uh, non-OEM new uh, replacement parts. Um, some people ended up staying primarily just in the used parts business. Some some uh, uh, kind of got into all things for all people. Used parts is kind of a function of uh, machine population and the demand it creates as it ages. Um, my favorite example is uh, in the early 60s, a very uh, popular and very available tractor was a D6 8U or 9U serial number prefix. Uh, the original D6s uh, started being built by Caterpillar in the 1940s, and they had an RD prefix, and sometime in the early 50s, uh, they introduced this 8U and 9U, 8U being, a, they called it a, a narrow gauge tractor because the oil field people wanted something they could put on a truck and haul around, 9U, a little wider gauge uh, and a more stable tractor. Um, it weighed 33,000 pounds. It had a, a, a diesel engine, a D318 with most of them gasoline starting engines. Uh, before the days of hydraulics, it had a number, five, a number 25 cable control. And there were well over 30,000 of just the nine used built. So there was this huge population of tractors. They all had similar parts. And so you could, you could when you bought a, a tractor to tear it down for parts, almost everything on it was in demand and for sale. As the business has gone forward over the years and manufacturers have updated products more often, uh, that is not necessarily the case. Um, sometimes people will ask, well, you know, why, why use parts and is it important? Does it, I mean, I, you know, don't know that I've ever bought any. So if you look at it as a business, there, there are really two groups that are impacted, right? The user or the contractor, and then the people that decide to be in the business and sell them. Um, from a user's perspective, uh, use parts really offer the chance to lower the basic owning and operating cost of a machine. And then maybe today is important to support obsolete or older equipment as manufacturers change models and upgrade. Uh, it's easier to have obsolete equipment. I live in central Texas right now and the elevating scraper Caterpillar for years built a 613, a 615, a 623, and for a while a 633 elevating scraper. Uh, the 613s and 615s are still alive here in Central Texas. You will see 
Almost every contractor has one. Uh, Caterpillar has not built a 615 in 20 plus years and a, well, 13, both 613s or 615s in 20 plus years. So um, if you're running those machines, then any parts that you can get off a used uh, in a salvage situation are absolutely perfect. So for contractors, lowering operating costs and then supporting obsolete equipment. And today there's more, a quote, obsolete equipment, meaning non-production models that are running. And there may have been a batch made of 5,000 or 10,000 or how many, but they provide then cores for used parts. For a seller, it is a little different. Um, depending on who the seller is, there are a few OEMs of the used parts business. It may be about more share of a customer's wallet, um, more price points. If you can offer a new price and a used price and everything in between, a rebuilt, repaired, uh, certified. Um, and then an interesting question for a seller, is this a profit center or a cost center? And then uh, it's a possible source of cores for many people that like to rebuild powertrain components. Uh, which brings me to the issue of core value. Some people uh, favor the used parts business as a source of cores to feed their uh, rebuilding and repairing of exchange transmissions, engines, final drives. And again, it gives them multiple price points uh, to go to market with. Um, you look at a used machine and you go, gosh, what's what's there that I can sell? And it's different today because one, there's a lot more different kinds of models and different kinds of machines, but drivetrain parts, any wear parts that aren't worn out, any attachments, work tools are automatically items that just you can sell. Items that I think of as frame and function, cabs, mainframes, track frames, uh, back to the D69U days, everybody was still learning metallurgy and, and manufacturing, and track frames often cracked. It was not uncommon to find uh, used machines with uh, plated uh, track frames, both inside and out. Today, that's not much of an issue. Historically, track frames were a pretty good selling item. So today, if you get to a hydraulic excavator, um, there's not a lot to sell on a hydraulic excavator compared to a track type tractor or other types of, of equipment. Uh, but drivetrain, wear parts, attachments are always a part of that. And then machine population and utilization kind of drives the whole business. Back to my D69U example, if there were 30,000 built and there with first, second, third, maybe even fourth owners, there was always somebody that needed parts off those units. Um, so the opportunity in used parts, again, is, is high population uh, and high utilization. Uh, often old machines get used to uh, backup status. Utilization is not as many hours as, old, as, uh, as when they were new. So it's perfect to find used parts uh, to help a contractor bridge that gap. But the whole business is driven, again, by machine population and utilization and the resulting wear and tear and what's needed. Lots of people in the used parts business today approach it with, uh, 
they'll sell multiple things. Yes, they'll remove a part as is and they'll sell it to you. But often they'll repair or rebuild. And sometimes some of the rebuild stuff even has warranty. Many used parts dealers today are actively exchanging uh, drivetrain components. Um, so used parts has come a long way from the 50s and early 60s when it was, you know, have a farm field full of tractors and just start taking parts off of them. The, uh, the key, uh, people often ask this and discuss it, 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 the whole business is, it's like the equipment business, it's like the car business, you, you got to buy it right to sell it right. So um, sourcing is a key to success in this business. Um, the demand for it, the costing, the pricing, and then uh, people are in the business, how do they manage their costs, their labor, their storage, their inventory? First question that comes up is you, do you do stuff on the shelf or do you leave it on the machine like in the old days? Uh, what's your disassembly and cleaning process? And then how do you price? Almost everybody prices a, as a percent of new dealer net. And depending on the demand for that, pro, for that product, then they, they uh, factor that price up or down. Then the last topic that usually comes up around this business is, well, okay, sounds kind of interesting, but where do you find this stuff? How do you get product to, uh, to sell? For OEM dealers, often existing customers can be one of their best sources, particularly where they're selling new or used equipment and they can take a used parts core in trade. Um, so existing customers, uh, other contractors and owners, uh, Insurance companies and government agencies, uh, as uh, military operations have wound down around the world, the United States government uh, has been selling uh, large quantities of uh, used equipment, much of it uh, suited for the parts business. Then there are brokers and, and dealers, uh, but there, there is a, a network that if you can tune into, uh, you, can, you can find uh, uh, used parts cores. So, as you and I start this discussion, that's kind of an overview. We've, we've talked about what is it, where do you find it, what's important, the impact of, of a population machine or machine population and utilization. Um, it has grown from a one machine, take off the parts and sell it to uh, people that have large inventories and they do rebuild, repair, uh, they source cores. So used parts is a multi multifaceted business today, as opposed to when it started. It's a fun business. The people that are in it um, like it, and they like it for, uh, uh, we used to call ourselves junkies, uh, different use of the word today. But um, it was, um, you know, it, it, it just, uh, it, it's fun and, and customers that, uh, buy used stuff, used parts often come in and inspect them and look at them. A uh, lot of chance for human interaction uh, today in the marketplace with online uh, e-commerce. Uh, it's not like it once was, but uh, once upon a time, uh, customers liked coming in and just, I'm going to call it kicking the tires, moving up and down rows of displayed things and looking at something and seeing, is that in better condition or worse condition than the one I have? Um, 
at, at one time that D69U later become the D, became the D6B and the D and then the D6C. That was a very popular tractor in much of the country, and a lot of people did what they called farm work and they built ponds. And the U.S. government or the state government or even the county had funds for water conservation. And from those water conservation jobs, a lot of uh, single machine owners got in the business and, and got their first um, experience with how do I operate or how do I run a track type tractor or a track type loader. And then they were the really the early customers for the, for the used parts because um, they were using them and in a lot of cases they could work on them themselves. It's not like some of the computer systems that, that uh, um, are the coordinator or the orchestra director on our, on our systems today. But used parts is a, an interesting, fun business. Historically, uh, it's been kind of in the right place in the right time. And as we look forward, and I've talked to some people recently, uh, there's a huge population of the compact construction equipment. And when that came out, Bobcat being really the first manufacturer 25 or 30 years ago, no one thought that would, it would ever be possible to, to part a, a skid steer loader. Uh, today, we have companies in the business, whether they're a traditional used parts company or um, someone that is a, a, an agriculture-related uh, business that does a skid steer business. But if you Google, you can find people that are in the used uh, skid steer or the used mini excavator parts business. And it's back to what I said a while ago, it's machine population and utilization. And there have literally been millions, millions of those little machines sold over the last 30 years. So there is the huge population, it fits the model. And just now there's some suppliers getting more involved and in coming to it. So um, it's like everything else in evolution, right? What, what drives it, why does it work? But it worked in the late 40s, 50s, 60s. Now here we are in uh, 2021 talking about it. It's still a very active business and the new small equipment, again, because the machine population utilization is coming into the formula. You know, it's interesting the way you unpacked that going back to the 1940s, the end of World War II. A lot of the people that are in the industry today have never heard this, have no idea about this. And interesting how as you went by it, some flashbacks happened for me. Example, frames cracking. Example, that we didn't know much about heat treating. In the early days, almost all of it was, was gas, which has no accuracy whatsoever. And here comes electronic induction, and all of a sudden things changed. And it, it, um, it's really interesting that the people that started use parts that group that you alluded to that started the Associated Independent Distributors, which today is called the Independent Dealer Association, because they didn't like the initials, they were all in the scrap business. The OEM dealers didn't know anything about that, didn't even think about it, it was way beyond the horizon for their vision. So who, who came into it? And, and you mentioned Burko. And Johnny Bertoni, who was the, the man that was running it that I met before his passing and before he sold it, um, that was a family business. And they made some of the best machine tools in the planet, on the planet. Caterpillar bought a whole bunch and other 
strong OEMs bought the product. And those 12 scrap guys all became Burko dealers selling, quote, cheap, not according to Johnny, but according to everybody else, <laughs> undercarriage. And there's all manner of stories. I'll just give you one short one. Johnny spent a weekend at Rikers because he didn't pay warranty the way that the American scrap dealers thought he should have paid warranty. The story he told me about is that they were claiming there was a problem with a link assembly. He said, Ron, I make millions of link assemblies, so links, individual links, and they wanted to claim warranty on one and two and three. He said, what's, what's the chance that that's actual truth? So he didn't pay, but he paid. And that was the last time he was in North America. How'd you like to spend a weekend in Rikers? He's an Italian. He was about five foot seven, slender. Um, that must not have been a very exciting weekend. But where you went with that, there's a sector of the market that keeps machines for a long time. Cleanup machines, single owner machines, farmers. Um, and then the water conservation that you, you know, we've, we've evolved as a society in a manner of ways that has changed how we use equipment. The equipment today is extremely expensive compared to 50 years ago, but the productive capacity of these machines is phenomenal compared to what it was 50 years ago. But it's kind of like a cell phone. I just want a telephone. I don't want to spend, you know, 200 bucks to buy a camera, a phone, a recorder, blah, blah, blah. I just want a phone. So you buy a hydraulic excavator today, the, the, the form and function and capacity of that machine compared to the early days is remarkable. So we leave behind, we, we leave the market, we leave the customer with the choice of getting rid of that old machine and then paying two, three, five, ten times more for everything. And if we don't have a used parts channel, they have nowhere to go. Correct. And then to make this matter worse, and you alluded to the car business, the, the, the business of automobiles is orders of magnitude larger. Like we have a big machine population and tractors and excavators. And as you say, skid steeders and mini excavators and the like are coming today. And then Mahindra with the small transporters, etc. But the, the, the car industry, they make the car manufacturers make money when they sell a car. So they've done everything that they can to shorten the life of the vehicle so that they can increase the manufacturing hours required. And, you know, the best way of looking at that was the car rental companies. The, the car manufacturers would sell to the car rental companies and they'd take them back at the end of two years. They had to find a secondary market for a secondary rental channel. In the construction equipment world, we've got rental companies now. And that's an evolution. It used to be you owned and operated your own machines. You looked after it. You repaired it. You did everything yourself. Can't do that anymore. And at the price of some of these machines, contractors can't afford them anymore. So they're getting a machine for a, a specific job. It's no longer that I want a tractor or an excavator. It's that I want to build, dig a hole. So you're looking at the cost of the hole, not the cost of the product anymore. So this is a different gig altogether. And again, 
There's a sector of the market that we would jettison, we'd throw away if all we did was play with the first life user. And we have technology today that's wonderful. We got everything on the internet, it's wonderful. But as you alluded again to, used parts is a relationship business. It's a people business. And a lot of the guys, like you said, want to go kick the tire. They're smart enough to be able to see what's good or bad or indifferent. But now we're getting into a, a, an era, there aren't a lot of those men and women around anymore. They're passing us by. And the younger generation doesn't know what the heck to make of this stuff. So here we go. I want to be able to open myself up as a supplier of parts to equipment owners. And I've got, as again, as you introduced us to, we have the new part. That's been there forever. Then we have a rebuilt component. That started becoming possible when the quality of the metallurgy and heat treating got better. So we rebuilt engines or we re we fusion welded cylinder heads. We, we went through another evolution. In the meantime, parts lose favor in inventory. So my inventory strategies and supply chain strategies have also evolved, and I'm not going to carry parts that don't sell. Well, darn, the parts that don't sell are the parts for the machines that are getting old. Again, I'm leaving those people behind. I'm letting them go to somebody else, and they got to go find them. Well, I'm greedy. I don't want to lose this guy. I, he's a buddy of mine. He, he bought a machine from me. I, we put him in business. He struggled. We struggled. Everything worked. He's getting rid of that machine. He sells it to somebody, and I don't even know he sold it to if he doesn't trade it into me. And because I've lost sight of that machine, I've lost sight of that opportunity. A machine is what makes money for us. By its use and where we sell things. If the machine isn't working, I don't sell things. If the machine isn't there, I don't sell things. If I don't know where the machine is, who do I sell to? So it opens up a whole bunch of different things. And in a couple of dealers that I worked for, we had used parts. Um, the last dealer I worked for was Finning, and they didn't have used parts at all. It was a big dealer. It's a bigger dealer today. I think it's the largest dealer in the world today. And I'm talking about the late 70s. Well, we put them in the used parts business, but we treated it like it was a new parts business, organized it, sophisticated, systemized it, blah, blah, blah. And it's a publicly traded company. We were doing north of $100 million in parts 50 years ago um, in the first Six months, we took the used parts business up to a million dollars a month, and everybody was flabbergasted. It was a market sector that nobody knew how big it was. Well, all of a sudden they did, and they say, well, wait a second, we got to do something about this. And so some dealers have gotten really good at the used parts business. Seems to me you were charged by Caterpillar to set up a used parts business for them on the West Coast somewhere, right? Yeah, it was a little different. We actually uh, uh, facilitated a dealer transfer, dealer ownership transfer uh, between the uh, Peterson Company in uh, San Leandro, California, and the uh, the dealer in uh, Portland. Uh, yeah. 
H A L T O N. Halton. And and so Halton was big in the used parts business, and uh, as a result of that uh, dealer consolidation, the uh, that used parts business was uh, uh, kind of left over and left out, and so it was an opportunity to um, uh, to keep that going, and to uh, and to help uh, help our dealers. So let's 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 come backwards here for a second. I'm going to get into the used parts business and I'm going to do it by buying old machines. I'm going to buy them, some of them from an owner who it's no longer of value to him. I'm going to buy them from a farmer who's got it parked out in the backyard, hasn't used it for 10 years, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to buy the machine for a certain amount of money. I'm going to transport it to where I am. I'm going to dismantle it. I'm going to take it apart. I'm going to assume the way that you introduced this, that I'm going to take all the major elements, the track frame, the block, the cab, the ripper, the undercarriage, work tools. I'm going to take them out. The rest of it, I'm going to maybe part out or maybe just leave as it is and wait for somebody to come in and walk around and we'll take it off when they want it. Or I'll piece it out and put everything into an inventory. I'm I'm going to take that as the starting point, and I'm going to suggest a price strategy to you and see if you think it works. I pay $10,000 for the machine, and I pay $2,000 of labor to take it apart to come to 10 major components. And I'm going to say they're all the same value. So 10% of my acquisition price is going to be what I'm going to associate to each of those major things. The, the dozer blade, the undercarriage, the cab, the engine, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm going to look at the new machine price, and let's call it $100,000. And I'm going to say that my value for each of those things then is 10,000 bucks. New. Perfect working condition. And I've got them for $1,000. Where do I price that? Well, your, your first stop is the uh, suggested uh, dealer net on the new part. Okay, so that I'm going to say is 10 grand. So if you start there, then as a percent of that price, if I can go to the OEM dealer and buy a new one for $10,000, then where, where is a good deal? Where, what, what interests me as the writer of the check? You know, I'm not going to pay you $9,900 for something I can buy for $10,000. So the old rule of thumb was 50%. So if I have if I have a part that is a new dealer net, my used part coming out of the gate price would be five grand. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's exceptions to that. High demand good items might go to 60 or 65. Track frames or push arms sitting out there with the weeds growing around them might be a lot less. But you need a place to start. So when you bought your machine and you said, I've got these 10 components and I'm valuing thus and so, you would also be comparing those uh, pieces to what it would cost if you went to the local OEM store and bought them new. Yeah. 
And so every time you buy a machine, because the condition of some of those things will be different, but, but you will use this rough methodology. I can sell it for 50% of a suggested consumer list. Probably I might get a little more, I might get a little less, but that that's always your first stake in the ground. So if I, if I take that one a little bit further, that means the used parts business, by definition, has to have people that have better selling skills than the current new parts business, which is primarily an order processing factory. That's exactly right. They, um, with the systems today, in the old days, uh, a parts counter guy was actually uh, knowledgeable about what it was, where it fit, how it went. Um, so coming backwards into your used parts situation, yeah, folks got to know what they're selling, what the condition is. They've got to understand when that machine was running, you know, how, how what kind of uh, environment they may be worked in. And I mean, there's all kinds of little things you'd want someone to know if they were going to sell the part and not just take an order for a part number and package it and ship it. There, there's a the shopper, particularly the smaller the customer, uh, the more inclined that man may have been or that person may have been to be the operator of that machine. They're, they're gonna, they're, I hate to use the word feel, but there are, there you do sit in the seat of a machine and, and you feel things. Well, now when you're buying a used part for that machine, um, you, you kind of know where, where it wears and where it doesn't. And, and if yours is broken and you know others is broken, I mean, there's a whole, accumulation of knowledge that comes from interacting with and being around the machine as a customer, then you take it the other way, then you'd like your salesperson to have some of that knowledge. They can't have it all because they're not out there doing that. But you would like there to be a uh, juxtaposition, if you will, between experience of the buyer and the knowledge of the seller. Make sense? Absolutely. And 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 that's something that we because the world seems to be getting more complicated, we're dumbing things down. And we're using technology to replace human skills wherever we can. Yes. The kiosk, as an example. Yes. Um, and used parts runs right smack into the face of that and says, no, 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 you can't, you can't really do that. I have to see this part i have to feel i have to kick the tire and that takes the parts person who in the old days i agree with you they had to know where it was where it worked of course in those days alex one of the other interesting things caterpillar is was both our backgrounds but in in when i was around the price file was less than three hundred thousand part numbers mm. today it's north of nine hundred thousand so there's no way I can keep up technologically in in the old days we talked about you know gas heat treat and electric and painting systems we we've, we've come a long way people don't stop and smell the roses to the degree that painting systems was the the biggest bottleneck in making cars mm -hmm. because it took two or three days to dry before you could put a second coat on I, I mean, so painting technology changed as heat trading technology changed. And, and we have all manner of 
technological things, sensors everywhere in the machine with telematics. It'll tell me what's wrong with the machine. The, the, the engine's overheating. You know, Mr. Customer, that operator, that machine's been idling 40% of the time. He's out there. He's not working very hard. Um, in the early days, all we were concerned with was the guy's going backwards with his tractor because he doesn't want to be eating dust. And the wear rate going backwards was significantly higher than going forward. So wait a second. <laughs> that, you know, it, there's all manner of things coming around. So where do I go to train somebody in the parts business today as opposed to in the part number processing business? Much easier to train somebody in part number processing. There is no training ground. Um, I think you have to find the people that have an affinity. They like it. They like being around it. I talked about the used parts business a little earlier. I, I talked about it being a, a relationship kind of a business. Well, there are people and, and young people, you know, that that like that stuff. Now, how do we find them? I, I would. That's a whole other discussion. But there are people that. Um, that wear that hat proudly. I've worked around them in various businesses in various parts of the country, and they tend to stay with it. They don't come into the used parts business and leave the parts business. They tend to stay there. They love it. They love what they do. They love the customers. They love interacting with the customers. That is different than someone is trained just to interact with technology. So, a challenge is to find and bring some of those people in. Uh, somehow it's being done because there are very successful businesses today uh, being run by a, a cadre of people. And, and so, you know, they're managing to recruit uh, some of those people. Um, some of those people, you know, maybe more rural background, maybe off a farm or ranch, maybe somebody that's interacted with uh, agricultural machinery. I mean, it's just, but, but there are people that, it's like, uh, uh, I don't know, people that drive race cars, that you get things in your blood. And I think the construction equipment business, I think the used parts business are both pieces of degrees of in your blood. You know, it, it's, it's what I want to do. I, I don't want to sit in front of a computer screen all day. I want to get up and walk outside. I want to pick the part up and look at it. I want to say, you know, is it half worn? Is it all worn? I mean, it's just part of that now is an inspection process before it goes on the shelf. But some of it uh, you you leave to individuals so they can accurately describe it to the customer and the customer feels like receives it as accurate information. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really it, it really takes it takes on a different a different tone. The other the other thing that's interesting about the used parts business, my opinion the barrier to entry is low. If you want to be in a construction equipment OEM dealer world, you better have hundreds of millions of dollars to come into this game. Mm -hmm. If you want to be in the skid steer business, even the lawn and garden business, you better bring millions of bucks to the table. If you wanted to get into the used parts business, you could probably start up in under a hundred thousand bucks. Go buy some scrap machines if you've got a me mechanical inclination. Tear them apart if you've got a peddling sales personality. Away you go. So I'm going to go backwards just a minute. A while ago, we talked about the progression of a machine from an original owner to a first to a second to a third and a fourth. 
if you're around many of the auctions these days, there are third and fourth generations picking up these compact machines. Yep. They're, not, they're not being thrown away. A lot of people thought they were a disposable commodity. And that is not turning out, in my opinion, to be the truth. Somebody somewhere will take that machine and do something with it. So keeping track of that machine is important. And one of these days, we'll talk about uh, something else, another little project I'm involved in called Agility One. But tracking ownership and keeping up with people as they these machines move from original owner to fourth level owner is, is very, very important. And there are ways to do that. Um, but those machines are not dying. Uh, many of them are, are living on. Uh, years and years ago, we'd find an old dozer parked behind a barn. And a farmer had used it to build his pond. And after that, he just kept it because what the heck, he might need it again someday. Well, the fourth, third and fourth level owners of some of these uh, combat construction equipment are kind of the same way. Yeah. You know, I bought it. I didn't put all that much in it. I needed it to do one thing. I'll just hang on to it. But the machines are not dying, I think, at the rate everybody thought they would. Yeah, and it's absolutely true. And the other thing that's interesting about the smaller machine is as as we got into the bigger stuff, we looked down our nose at the little machine. Well, it's only $500 of personal labor a year. That's not worth my while. Absolutely. And the example I had, and you probably went through the same thing, is when Caterpillar acquired Tomotor, the lift truck company. And we brought this little lift truck into a shop where the door it drove through was 30 feet by 30 feet, and that sucker wasn't even seven foot tall. And, and you look at, wait a second, it's a completely disproportionate application of asset value to, to product that we're supporting. With the skid steer, it, and everybody's gotten into it, Komatsu and Deer and Caterpillar and, and, and the rest. Volvo walked away from it. They got in and they got out. That replaced a shovel. Yes. The first owner was working on a shovel. And what became interesting to me was the brand is what sold the machine. And Bobcat, Melro, the company, Bobcat was the brand that everybody chose. So everybody took a run at it, like everybody took a run at Case and JCB with a tractor loader backhoe. And they hurt market share by coming in. Caterpillar, Komatsu, all the others got into the same thing. And then the market share shrunk. That hasn't really happened with Bobcat. It's a harder one to displace. Mm -hmm. So the second and third owner, I mean, we've almost been blocked out. It's a separate distribution channel. It's a separate value chain. And, and we don't know, we don't have broad enough base thinking. I know this is a wrong way to approach it, perhaps, but being critical of the audience. But if, if you're a D6, D8 and, and larger company, you're not really interested in skid steers and mini excavators. It's, it's what am I doing that for? I got bigger fish to fry. I can't charge 150 bucks an hour for repairing a, a skid steer. Um, yeah, it becomes a different ballgame. You know, we we probably have enough material to continue this for another podcast. Um, it, but it, it's a it's a I would bet that there's a whole bunch of people today, right now, 
thinking about how they could get into the used parts business. I don't think there's that same number of people thinking that I want to be an OEM dealer. So as we wind down for today, there will always be a used parts business because there will always be owning and operating cost constraints. I don't care if it's one owner who runs it once a month and doesn't have much in it, or it's a production guy that owns, you know, a dozen machines. As long as there's owning and operating cost constraints, there is a natural alignment with used parts, rebuilt parts, components. It'll always be there. So now we've got this population shift, as you just pointed out, uh, and we still have huge mining equipment. But if you look just on a per unit basis, what, what's selling in, in the United States or the United States and Canada or in the world, it's the small machines. Yeah, it, it will always be that way. It's, it's, we've got to the point where, in my opinion, the price point on the equipment is too high for normal applications. Mines, yes, that's a completely unique deal. And if you look at how the industries have segmented, mining is now restricted to primarily three companies, Komatsu, Caterpillar, and to a lesser degree, Hitachi. Yes. Then you come down a level now you know, let me call it the D6 guy. I've probably got a hundred suppliers. You come down to the Bobcat, these compact construction equipment. Now I got 10,000 guys. Um, I'm not going to be around, neither will you, when the consolidation takes place to the point that there's three guys in the construction world, but it's going to happen. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's a fundamental of economics that there's a certain amount of gross profit that is generated in a in industry and depending on the number of players in that industry, the survival rate gets lower as the number of players goes up. But uh, yeah, I think we've got enough material for more. But well, that's, that's a pretty nice history lesson and statement of where we're at, I think. Did anything you want to add as a kind of conclusion? Well, no, but I would, I would add maybe another discussion is the distribution channel, because all of this is forcing the channel to behave differently and to be structured differently. Yeah. And, and that's a whole, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on that is some combination of electronic and technology and personal and how do we get this done and how do we get that done? But this has been a great discussion, Ron. I really appreciate that chance to just visit with you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And, and interesting, let me just put a little in parenthesis, another attribute that Alex and I share. We both were in the old days data processing managers. So technology <laughs> is part of our life. And and you're right. We're going to have a chat about the distribution channel, but I I want to reserve the right to abuse you some more on used parts. I think there's more that we need to cover there. Um, so thank you very much, Alex. Let's close it up there. And thank you to everybody who's listened to us. And we hope you got something from this. And we look forward to you following us on another Candid Conversation in the near future. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.